here's what I know. That Christianity, that following Jesus isn't safe. Around the world, there are people that suffer for whom they believe in. They, 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 they suffer. They are, are challenged. There's, there's a death that happens. There's martyrdom that happens. There's persecution that happens. There's jail, people going to jail, things like that that happen because of their belief. And so we see in Scripture and we see throughout the world that Christianity isn't safe. That's a great start to a motivational speech, isn't it? But I believe that somehow there may be a disconnect for you and me. Because Christianity is pretty safe in America, isn't it? In some ways. That we don't face the um, persecution like they do in other countries where Christianity is outlawed. That you're not supposed to have the Bible or you're not supposed to have meetings. And so we know that in certain places the church will meet, as they say, underground. Where they're in smaller house churches type things. They can't sing with music or words like we get to. They sing silently. That they can't be found out, that their leaders are put in jail, they're beaten, and this happens around the world. But for most of us here, Christianity is pretty safe, okay? As we've been talking about the Beatitudes, this morning we're talking about Jesus calling out and saying that blessed are you when you are persecuted for my sake, for righteousness' sake. And yet, does that really resonate for you and me? Doesn't it seem kind of foreign, actually? Okay, if somebody is in India right now, or somebody is in China right now, or somebody's in the Middle East right now, or in Syria right now, in these, these incredible places in parts of Africa, where, I mean, like genocide happens, right? They get it. They, they read that verse and like, yes. But for us, there's that disconnect where it's kind of safe here. And so we kind of pass along this passage and uh, we kind of miss out on the truth. And so this morning, I want you to ask the question, how come this isn't true of my life? Is it because our government is nice to Christians? Is it because our society is tolerant of Christians? Is that why I don't have this persecution? And I would tell you this morning that I believe that we should have some harassment. We should have some insults. That we should have some times where we're mocked. That we should have these things and the word persecute really breaks down to, to chase down, to hunt down. That that should be a part of our, our following of Jesus. But here's what happens for most of us, okay? This is what happens for most of us. That we're actually persecuted not because of Jesus, not because our belief in him, not because of this transformative message of the gospel, but we're actually persecuted because of you. There's a difference. I want to talk about that this morning. This scripture teaches us that we are persecuted because of Jesus. We're supposed to be persecuted because of Jesus, not because of you. I know when at work and, you know, you feel like, man, it's it's because I'm a Christian, people don't like me. No, it's because you're late every morning and somebody has to cover for you every morning. Sorry, you know. Man, they, they just hate me, eh? but I'm living for Jesus. Well, probably what's happening is they kind of hate your attitude. And your attitude's like a poison to your workplace. And the persecution that you and I would face probably are going to be because of me and you. Not 
because of Jesus. And so what happens is we kind of throw out this whole thing of being persecuted for Jesus and we miss it out for our life. I believe this morning that Jesus has a word for you. And as he says this to this group of people, he says, blessed. This is, this, is, this is not a great motivational, let's, hurrah, let's get everybody together. I'm about to call the troops here. And Jesus says this, blessed are you persecute, persecuted for my sake. So blessed are you that are persecuted for righteousness sake and great is your reward in heaven. That's not really a let's everybody get together. It's a, I don't know if I want to sign on this dotted line. We are persecuted because, often because of us, not because of Jesus. So this morning, let's ask the question, what is it, what causes persecution because of Jesus? So as Jesus is saying this, and it's kind of like the beginning of this really awesome long sermon. People call the Sermon on the Mount. In the beginning of his ministry here, and he does these incredible things through his life on earth. And he embodies this message and the message of the gospel, even to the point to where Jesus is persecuted. Okay? Even to the point to where he's going to suffer for this. He's going to be hunted down. He's going to be harassed and mocked and insulted. And yet he didn't even deserve it. What causes persecution because of Jesus? Well, this idea of being persecuted because of Jesus is rooted in his righteousness. Jesus says that because of righteousness' sake, you're persecuted. That this idea of righteousness is so contrary to the nature of our flesh. And there will be a disconnect and there will be a, sorry, a clash between those two. The message of Jesus is so upside down, change my life, change how I live, that there will be a clash with the system and the way the world works. That's being persecuted because of Jesus. Do you believe something so deeply that it would change your life? That you believe it so much that it would change how you act? It would change your attitude. It would change your approach to life. It would change your leadership. If you're in a leadership role, a manager or something like that at work, it would change you being a mom or, or a dad and how you do it. Or it would change how you are as a husband or a wife, or it would change how you are as a member even of this larger community. That his message is that powerful of the gospel that calls us to surrender ourselves so he can make new. That causes persecution because it's so contrary to the system of this world our flesh and our nature will tell us to do this 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 and this okay the system of our world our culture will tell us to do this this and this in each culture is different in india or china or just places i mentioned in africa you know their culture is a little bit different than what their expectations are for their kids right so they're going to raise them that way our expectations are a little bit different their expectations of what it is to be a, a a respected person of society is a little bit different right for us, it's certain things. And so we start building our lives around these type things. But when we follow the message of Jesus, everything gets on the table. He's the expression, there's no sacred cows following Jesus. Everything is there. And this creates persecution because you live differently. You act differently. You become different. So powerful, this message that Jesus teaches. How he asks you to live. As we've been going through the Beatitudes, these things are not what people who don't follow him go after. Right? You don't go after being meek or being pure in heart. You don't be, go after being hungry for righteousness. That's not a part of college. There's no class on that. Right? 
how to be a successful person in society. That's, that's not there. What, ha- what happens is we will trade the life transformative message of Jesus, believing in him so deeply that it utterly changes us in how we live, that we become the outsiders, that we become the weird ones, that we become the foreigners because of not what, how we look, but how we live and how contrary it is. You have to ask the question this morning, hmm, are people persecuting me for Jesus, for righteousness sake, or because of me? Let me give you a quick illustration to kind of explain this, and I felt like I needed to address this anyhow, so it worked out for today. I think you guys know me by now after being here a year. I try not to use this opportunity to uh, speak with you every week as an opportunity to bully you or anybody else or to use it as my soapbox or my political agenda. You guys don't know who I'm voting for in November kind of thing. You shouldn't, hopefully. Um, you don't know about like my political leanings and those type things. I, I really don't care to mix those messages when I, when I sp- preach and teach God's word. That's just me. But I do need to respond a little bit to some of the things that do happen in our nation and our country. And over the weekend, we have all kinds of uh, shootings that are happening. We, I've talked a little bit about this before. We have this race war going on, and it's so public now because, you know, information is so readily available. So we've got cameras on phones that we can see these things before the police even release their footage. Uh, we've got things on Facebook that if you're like my feed, I, I've got all kinds of friends, people that would align with a certain group of conservatives or a certain group of liberals, however you want to name them. I've got people that are in the church, outside of the church. I've got people that are different races. I've got like a thousand friends over the different worlds I've been through. And so I have a, just a mix bag on my news feed that um, I read. In addition to this race war that we have going on and the tensions in our uh, nation, we have other things like terrorism that goes on. And because the color of my skin, I I get terrorist jokes, to be frankly honest with you. I'm a funny guy, so I can joke back and and hang my own own kind of thing. But uh, we have this terrorist thing going on. Let's ship them all back in this type of terminology. We have this real tough thing going on in immigration and what should happen. Let's build a wall. Let's not build a wall. Let's keep them in. Let's keep them out. Let's give them amnesty, whatever we do, all those type things, okay? We have these big issues that divide us so much. We have issues in regards to gay marriage and what's right and what's wrong and all these things that happen, okay? So my approach, um, not only this morning, but every morning, is not to give you um, a yes and no list every week. It's not my approach, and that's not, I feel like, what God's called me to do. I I try not to give you a yes-no list of, okay, go do this, go do that, not do this kind of thing, because Pastor Nels told you. That won't go very far. So I'm not going to give you my positions on some of those things, whether there is immigration or these terrorist things that happen and what we should do about it or, you know, this um, uh, crimes that are happening. We see this real tension in our African-American community and how uh, a lot of the terminology is being gunned down and those type of phrases that we use and hunted down and all this kind of thing, okay? So I'm not going to give you my positions on those. I believe as your pastor this morning, what I should be doing is helping you a little bit with how we are persecuted because of you and me not because of righteousness or Jesus. So whatever your position may be that you're putting on Facebook, whatever your position may be that you're talking about at the water cooler at work, do people even have water coolers at work? I don't even know anymore. I used to. Whatever your position may be, the dinner table or when Thanksgiving is coming, come on now, you're going to talk about this Thanksgiving. I know you are. Whatever your position may be, be careful, church. Be careful, followers of Christ. Be careful, my brothers and sisters. That how you say it doesn't diminish what you're even trying to say. 
Be careful, church. Be careful, followers of Jesus. When, because of your attitude or how unloving you are, that's really what the issue is. Not even, and that gets, and, and that masks what the actual issue you're trying to talk about, whether it is racism or terrorism or immigration or whatever it might be. Be careful, church, this morning. Hear me out a little bit. That if at some point your position for righteousness and what being right is greater and creates a bigger picture and a cloud and it, and it wipes away the fruits of the Spirit in your life, you got a problem. This isn't a right or wrong thing this morning. I'm not giving you my position to agree or disagree with me. I'm telling you this, that every one of you in this room should agree with this, that the fruits of the Spirit should never, ever be hidden by you feeling you need to be, you're, you're right or wrong in some kind of debate. See, Jesus has a master of this. Somehow he cannot sin and say these, these powerful things, okay? He was, said it in such a way even that people who were outside of the established group or core would come to him and be with him and, be, and, be, and he could be gentle with them in a way that they actually wanted to be around him. And for us, because of our attitude, because of our snobbery in some cases, people don't want to be with us. People don't want to hear what we have to say. So what happens is we oftentimes do get persecuted because of our attitudes. We get persecuted because the fruits of the Spirit, we don't lead with that. So people even wonder, man, these Christians, they're, who are these people? They're, and they kind of make out that list. And you may say, well, the media, you know, does this, and the media buys. And, okay, sure, they absolutely. I mean, that's with anything, the media does that, right? But I'm not worried about what the media is saying. I'm worrying about what your coworkers are saying about you. That's what I'm worried about as your pastor. I'm worried about what your family is saying. You realize your kids watch you as you talk talking the dinner table, okay? So my first thing I want to tell you about this is, Church, be very, very careful, whatever your position is, and no matter what research you have, and no matter what this and that you have, that the fruits of the ne Spirit never get, get, get swept underneath the rug. Being kind to people and loving, have, showing some self-control, and not punching that guy in the face because he disagrees with you, okay? To be gentle towards people, to have patience towards people who, in our minds, are foolish or stupid or ignorant because they're not informed. Show some patience. Lead with the fruit of the Spirit. God will take care of the rest. Secondly, I do want to say something, and again, this may put me more on one side of the issue, and I'm okay with it because it's a biblical theological concept. I can spend a lot of time explaining or talk to me later about it. Let's be very, very careful that our response to people dying isn't hateful. That our response to people suffering shouldn't be, let's go fix and solve the problem with this. But your heart should be broken. It should be humble. But specifically, church, be careful here. Specifically, church, I think that we should be on the side of the oppressed. Now, take that with whatever you mean. I, you could probably misinterpret that and say, apply it to all kinds of stuff. But this is what I do know, that when people are dying, when people are suffering, we should take note of that. Now, it may be just in somebody's eyes, but just remember that you are the oppressed, and Jesus came for you. And metaphorically, as you were oppressed in sin, Jesus comes to free you so you can live new and righteous and holy. This transformation message I preach every Sunday. You were the oppressed he came for. So be very careful, church. Whether it's, uh, it's a political thing or I can even say in your, in your office. Side with that oppressed person that everybody talks about and makes fun of behind their back. Side with that person, church. That's scriptural, actually. Okay? Side with the slave. That's scriptural. Side with the ones that are oppressed. 
I didn't say agree with everything they say or change your beliefs and those type of things. All I'm saying is that the, the oppressed need a voice and church as the oppressed, we should have a voice for that. Okay? The last thing I'm going to say about this, that this will kind of help you a little bit as far as some of the persecution that happens because of you and me and our attitude. Man, I want to be the kind of person that people want to have lunch with. Not because I like to be popular, because when they're with me, they will feel loved and listened to. And you guys know me. I have some strong opinions. That's my wife. I've got some strong opinions, okay? And I believe what I believe until I'm convinced otherwise, or God leads me otherwise, okay? I'm, I'm very opinionated. I'm not wishy-washy in a lot of ways. And, but I, I know that following Jesus should crucify my flesh and the arrogance that comes with me being right, and that's not my focus. My question is, how can I love, not how can I be right and prove my point? And last thing I'll say about this is, this verse in Malachi that talks about this thing goes on between Israel and God, and they rebel against God, and just all this repentant message of repentance that's happening. And it says this, it says, what does the Lord require? The Lord requires this, that you would, you guys know this verse? You would do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. That's really good advice, church. Because if you did justly, if you loved mercy, letting an offender go when they don't deserve it, if you were to be humble before your God, whom which you were not like, and he let you in the crew, if you would just do those things, okay, whatever you're saying, whether it's pro this or anti this, whatever it may be, if you would do justly, seek out justice, what's right for those that are being wronged. He would love mercy, that you would be humble. I'm telling you, church, your coworkers, your family members want to be at the table with you, and they'll hear your righteousness. Are, are you with me this morning? I just felt like I had to say that because, listen, don't put it on Jesus when you're persecuted because of you. This thing that happens, and, and again, this could be a longer conversation about how this works out in real life. Good, there should be some tension. I need to learn how to love the people I disagree with. There's a few of them in this world, right? Church, lady with the fruits of the Spirit, I want you to be gentle and loving and kind as you say this or that. No matter who you're voting for in November, I want your Facebook feed to be filled with mercy, justice, and humbleness before God. You hear me this morning? Yeah. All right. We, re, we see in this passage that persecution is the expectation, that Jesus kind of talks about this like, oh, hey, and by the way, you're going to get persecuted. So there's that. Okay. See, the expectation is this, that, hey, disciples, you're going to get persecuted because my, the, 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 what I'm doing in my, my life and what the teaching you're going to follow is so transformative and so crazy and so different. You're going to get persecuted. People won't like you for this. He said, it didn't happen with the prophets too. So why suddenly for me in 2016, do I skip out persecution being hunted down for how I live, being harassed and mocked? How do I get to skip out on that? We see from this powerful passage that the best blessing, and I've talked about this before, that in the midst of even persecution, which is a separation, right? You're isolated and separated. That 
persecution doesn't affect his nearness. That listen, in that moment when you were the most lonely person in this world, that you were segregated by governments, you're segregated by that office work, that, 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 that team at work that puts you out because you don't join in the gossip. That puts you out because you don't cheat to get your goals done like everybody else does. And now you're the one on the outside. Listen, persecution doesn't affect his nearness. Actually, in those moments, you could be the most close to God. You can feel the most close to God. Persecution also doesn't eliminate joy. In this passage, Jesus talks about our reward being in heaven. Boy, that's a hard thing to remember. That our reward is in heaven for how we live for him and for righteousness sake and for his sake. It's so hard because we're, what's before us is right before us and we want to deal with this right now. And this isn't a denial of joy or denial of the pain. There is pain that goes on when you live your life a certain way, whether it's at your workplace or it's even in your home, whether, whether it's a friend that you're trying, or even somebody in church that you think differently with, you're trying to live your life differently. But listen, this pain that comes from us, real pain that Jesus experienced, real pain that Paul experienced, real pain that the disciples experienced, listen, church, it shouldn't eliminate joy. And it's not denial. It's not denial. We have this thing as far as following Jesus. We don't admit that we're sad. You guys know my thing on that. I, I disagree. We don't want to admit the pain. We don't want to embrace that. I think differently. Because it doesn't eliminate joy. It makes you uh, understand that there is a greater joy than just what you feel. There's this great joy that he has for us. Let me read this uh, quote here. It's up there. There it is. From John Piper, one of my favorite guys here. It says, if someone should ask whether having our heart in heaven will make us useless on this earth, the answer is given by Jesus in this next very verse in the Sermon on the Mount. People who have their hearts so much in heaven that they fear no man but rejoice in persecution, such radically free, such radically free and joyful people are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That you do not have your joy or happiness just rooted in if people like you or not. That it's rooted in something deeper, recognizing that you've fallen someone greater that has crazy things, teachings and beliefs. That you're anchored in that and through no matter whatever mockery or insults that you should face, you can still have joy. This is real stuff this morning, church. I know we think of persecution of somewhere else, but persecution is right here, right now, as you live for Jesus, for righteousness. You will be persecuted. I think that there's always going to be a tension for me on what really this looks like living it out. How do I, in my world that I live in, and you guys know that I haven't always worked at a church. I worked other regular jobs as well. How in the world can I stand for him in my school in my public school, in my college? How do I stand for righteousness? How do I live for him in the workplace? Here's how. One of the ways is for you to be the one that, sta that speaks up for against injustice. And I'm not talking about being a tattletale on your uh, coworkers. I'm talking about, man, this is not good what we're doing to this person. We should not do this. And when that Everybody joins in and makes fun of this guy because he's this is he's so easy to pick on. You don't join in on that, and you take that guy to lunch. 
that if you're in a sales situation with customers, everybody always talks about customers as soon as they walk out that door. It's hilarious. It's hard not to join in on that. And we see things that people are being taken advantage of that we stand up even when we don't get paid for it. We all have job duties at our job, right? But when it's not even your thing to do that you stand up against it. Can you accomplish your task in a righteous way, right? When you take a little time off to be with the family because that's what God's called you to do. If you work more, you do more, you get more. That's not how I live my life. That you would do it in a righteous way that isn't taking advantage of people to get there and not stepping on people's necks to get there. Those of you that are in the corporate environment, man, that's a tough spot because you're measured against other people who do it, don't have the same standards you do to get promoted and all these different type things to accomplish your task in a righteous way. When you side with the oppressed, like I already kind of mentioned, and that you would have this desire inside of your heart, not just to get to retirement one day, not just to get the college fund for the kids filled up and paid for, not just to make that house payment, not just to get that bigger house, not just to do the normal things, but there would be an actual ambition in your life to love better. See, There would be this ambition in your life to treat those closest to you, maybe you're a parent or a husband or a mom or a wife, a son or a daughter, that your ambition would be to lead them, to love them in a godly way and not to fill in the blank. That's righteous ambition. That it's actually a part, me personally, it is actually a part of my plan for my life that I want to be a good husband. It's actually a part of my life that I want to love my coworkers well here at the church and that for them not to hate me behind my back. The people that are close to me and with me, they'll recognize that, oh, this is the real deal here. That's a part of my ambition in life. It's not just to, you know, all those other things that it could be. It's a part of my life. I'll give you a couple other, uh, other things here, and this is from um, John Piper as well. Some things you can just read over those. What I'm trying to tell you this morning is that because the gospel is so transformative, because it shakes to your little core, because it flips around and turns upside down the system of this world, that you will be on the outside at some point. You're going to be on the outside at some point. You're going to be hunted down and mocked and insulted. And I want to tell you this morning, church, it's worth it. It's worth it. Not just because your treasure is in heaven. It's worth it because it's pretty awful when you are persecuted because of you. Can you live a different way, church? Can you become someone different? Let me close by kind of saying this. You know, over this past year here at the church, I, as I reflect on some things, God constantly reminds me to dig deeper in this one main principle that I feel like my real calling here at the church is not just to do something, and that my real calling at the church here is not to get you to do more things. You know, this next year, we're going to have some changes. I've actually been praying for a new location. We're probably going to have to switch to a locate new different locations soon. I'm going to ask you to serve in our local schools soon. I'm going to ask you to do some more things, yes. But I don't ever want you to lose sight of this, that my real calling this morning and every morning I stand before you or as I lead the church, whether it's in a boardroom or it's in this sermon right now, that my prayer for you, church, and how I want to lead you as a pastor and as a spiritual guide is to become someone God wants you to become. The doing thing will always come later. I want you to know, church, that if you will become the very righteousness of God on this earth, 
the oppressed will have a voice. That if you'll become the very righteousness of God, and this is your ambition on this earth to become more like Jesus, then this will be a better place to live on this earth because of you. That my prayer for you is that these things deep down in our hearts would change. That you would take to the core of you and take a look at the inside and say, God, this is not your way. And you can fill in the blank of whatever it may be. Maybe it is how you are a coworker. Maybe it is how you are as a boss at work. Why are you the jerk that nobody likes? You're the boss and you love Jesus. You should lead a little differently. Well, I might get fired. Okay, you may. You would look at your role as a son or a daughter with your parents you will look at your role as a husband or a wife or a, or, or a mom or a dad. I, I harp on these big common roles or titles. I don't mean to, if you don't feel that, I don't mean to just, you know, put you out. I, it's this idea that, listen, I feel that we focus so much on the doing, we miss out on who we're supposed to become. And church, he wants you. He died for you to become someone. Someone free from the effects of the nature of this world and sin that you would live free, that those, ha- those hang-ups, those habits in our life, these addictions in our life that wreck our life, and, it, and I don't just mean the habits that are all the big bad ones that we all think about, the habits of how we treat people. This next sermon series, I'm going to talk about relating better to others and what kills relationships. Some of those things God wants to change in your life. I will say it this week, and you'll hear me say it a million times. We're going to do great things. I, I'm a doer, I'm task and I want to do great things. But church, I'm telling you this morning that the message of Jesus is so powerful, not just because it makes you do more, because it actually changes who you are. And when it changes who you are, the world doesn't like it. And when it changes who you are, you will do things that the media won't like. When it changes who you are, you, you will live different at work. You'll become someone. You'll actually become Jesus on this earth, church. I want you to become something. As we've read over the Beatitudes, I hope you've heard my heart in this every week as we've talked about this, that this is not the norm, that this, the Beatitudes, is not safe, that you should go after righteousness, that you should be pure in heart, that you should be meek and withhold your your, your strength and and to show some self-control, that you should hunger for him, that you maybe should be persecuted because that's the expectation When we believe it so deeply, God's going to change our life and how we live. Church, I'm calling you to become someone different. And I believe as we do that, you will do better things, whether it's at work or with the church as 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 an organization. But I'm telling you, church, Christianity isn't safe. It may be physically safe for us. We're not being thrown in jail or we're not being martyred, murdered. It may be safe in those terms. But when the gospel goes so deep in your life that you say, okay, God, here's everything and there's no sacred cows, you can change it all. That is dangerous.